good morning, South Suburban. Good to see you guys here today. What a beautiful Sunday morning. Thank you for taking some time to step inside as we we're launching into a, a brand new series. I'm excited to talk about that today. Over the years, my wife, Lenitha, and I have uh, taught our kids what worship is. And when our daughter, Addison, uh, turned four, um, they went out and got her very own kids' worship CD. And they took it home and put it into the CD player and, and played the music, lifted their hands and worshiped, and just had a, they had a great time worshiping the Lord. Our son, Braden, who was about two at the time, um, didn't know what was going on. He, he didn't quite understand what was really happening, except that it looked really fun. And so what had happened was that my son became conditioned to where when he heard the first couple notes from that very first song on, on Addison's worship CD, no matter where Braden was in the house, he came sprinting into our family room and threw his hands up in the air and just started spinning around and laughing. That was his conditioned response. And our daughter, Brooklyn, as she grew up, she developed those same tendencies. And evidently, there's something about growing up in the Tanton household that produces very excited worshipers. But here's my, here's my question to you today. We've all been conditioned to a certain response when we hear the music start playing. When we hear the word worship, what is your automatic response? What is the first thing, based on your experiences in life, they shape you, they mold you, but what is your first response when you hear the word worship? Is it singing? Is it raising hands? Is it playing an instrument? Is it words or emotions? Is worship giving? Is it serving? Is it a place or a service that you come to and attend? All of these things are certainly aspects of worship, but scripture is very, very clear about one thing, and that is this, that worship is life. 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that whatever we do, we're to do all of it to the glory of God. Psalm 103.1, read this with me, a very familiar passage. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Let all that is within me bless his holy name. This is what worship is. I love the Westminster Confession of Faith. It states that the chief end of all mankind is the glory of God. Today we begin a brand new series with that in mind. The Word of God has a ton to say about worship, and you're certainly going to hear a lot of it uh, throughout this series, but today we're going to begin with a very familiar passage. It's found in Mark chapter 12, verse 30. Look at it with me this morning. It says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. This is the first, and scripture says, greatest commandment. This passage in Mark is part of what the Jewish call the prayer of the Shema. The love that Jesus is speaking of here is a, a love that speaks of a total commitment, 
all in, sold out, however you want to phrase it, it's a total commitment to God. As A.W. Tozer said, we must never rest until everything inside of us worships the Lord. Now, the life of Jesus, as you follow him throughout the Gospels, as you read all about Jesus and his interactions and his words and his, and his, and his actions, the life of Jesus modeled the Shema. According to Jesus, submitting your will to God was the truest sense of worship. You see, contrary to many people's understanding today, worship was never viewed as just singing. And those who are vocally challenged can shout a great big amen, because it's not just about your singing. It was what scripture actually called a living sacrifice. And it's important for us today, as we start this series, it's important for us to differentiate between moments of worship and a life of worship. See, we just experienced a moment of worship a few minutes ago, but moments of worship do not automatically result in a life of worship. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 15 that many people's worship is mere lip service because they don't live it out. I want you to let that soak in for just a second. Jesus said, these people draw near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips but their heart is far from me. I want you to look with me at Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, another familiar passage for many. It says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who do the will of the Father. See, Jesus spoke often about this kingdom of heaven and pursuing God's will. This was the true life of worship, according to Jesus. And our problem here in America is that there is a disconnect. We have a hard time understanding what a kingdom is because we live in a democracy. And in a democracy, people contend for their individual rights. There's so many people who are arguing and fighting for their rights today. The news is full of it. Your Facebook feed is full of it. The world is full of it. Spiritually, in America, we have developed a very broad form of racism that you could call the human racism. And that is essentially this, where the right of mankind's will has been exalted above everything, including God. In fact, America is now largely a spiritual democracy where we have exalted humanity's will over the Creator's will. And sadly, there are churches in America who've done the same thing. They've tried to replace spiritual leadership with popular vote of the people. And that was never God's plan. See, Jesus spoke of developing a kingdom mindset. And this is really foundational and essential when it comes to worship. What is a kingdom mindset? Because Matthew 6, Jesus said, seek first, the very first thing in your life. Seek first, go after the kingdom because in a kingdom people don't fight for their rights they fight for the will of the king now that again is a foundational piece when we talk about what a life of worship is so if worshiping God 
truly is what sometimes we sing about, the lyrics of our worship songs, when they state that we're placing him on a throne, then it means that we place him in a kingship position over us, right? We put him on the throne. He's the king. See, everybody has a throne in their life. And either we fight for our right to the throne or we place God on the throne and we say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is true worship of the Lord. So the question is not, do we worship? We all worship. The question is, what do we worship? Do we worship our will or do we worship God? So as you ponder that question this morning, I want to look at a few factors regarding worship. Mankind is what scholars call a tripartite being. That means basically that we're made up of three parts, a spirit, a soul, and a body. We are spirit. It's our being. It's, you could call it our connection to, to God. We live in a body. It's our flesh. This, you could say, is our connection to the world. And then we have a soul, which is our mind. This is our connection to ourself, to our being. So our spirit is our connection to God. Our flesh is our connection to the world. Our soul is our connection to, to ourself. And Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, says that there is a war going on in this three parts of our body. There's a battle that's happening. And you feel it. We, we feel this, this struggle. Scripture says that our spirit is in conflict with our flesh. And they're fighting against each other. And they are opposed to one another. And the question becomes then, why are they fighting? What are they fighting for? The answer lies between your ears. <laughs> The spirit and the flesh are fighting to influence your soul because your soul is your will. It's the decision seat of your life. And your soul chooses what to worship. That's our first part today, or the first factor. Our soul chooses what to worship. Over and over in the book of Psalms, it says, my soul rejoices, my soul blesses, my soul praises, my soul longs for, thirsts for, cries out for, worships the Lord. My soul does these things because our soul chooses where we give our worship. And that's what this battle is in Galatians. Our spirit is saying, worship the Lord. Our flesh is saying, worship the world our soul chooses these will not cease scripture says the spirit of god will never stop will never give up and that our flesh will always fight and they're fighting for influence of your soul because your soul chooses what to worship the second factor is that god created you to worship him in spirit in fact Scripture says in the book of John, God is spirit, and we worship him in spirit and in truth. Here, here's where I'm going with this. He created you to worship him in spirit. It's not a physical location where worshiping God happens. It's in our spirit, our God connection. This is where worship happens. There are worship centers. Um, people might call this a house of worship. 
You are attending a worship service. We just sang worship songs. Uh, we are going to worship the Lord in our giving, and now we're going to worship the Lord by listening to his word. Let me tell you where worship happens. Worship happens in your spirit. It doesn't happen in a place. Because you could come to a worship center and in a house of worship, attend a worship service, sing worship songs, give in the offering, and still not be worshiping the Lord. Those are actions, and, and Jesus is talking about what's happening inside of your spirit. That's where worship happens. You can sing worship songs without worshiping the Lord. Now, on the other side, this is good news, again, for us vocally challenged. I don't have to sing to worship. I don't have to be in a worship center to worship the Lord. If my spirit is connecting with the Lord, if I'm submitting to him, worship is happening. And this is, this is part of the picture that's so important because there's a drama that follows this. And I want you to write this one down. Number three, Satan desires to break your worship. Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, Satan is tempting Jesus in the desert, in the wilderness. And here's what he says. I will give you all the kingdoms of the earth if you will bow down and worship me. Now, is Satan asking Jesus to sing to him? No. He's asking him to submit his will him if you will bow down if you will submit to my will rather than God's will I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth Satan was trying to break Jesus's worship the same way that he attempts to do that throughout all of humanity let me give you another unmistakable example of that in fact these three factors of worship that we just talked about here all played out in what you could call the very first drama of all creation. Happened in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3. God had just finished creating all the world and everything in it that it might worship him. He poured his love into creation. He breathed his life into mankind. And the design of humanity included a spirit, our spirit that would connect with the spirit of God. And this line of communion was the built-in worship of the creator. There was God and there was his creation. We were created to worship, we were not forced to worship because humanity also had a soul, a choice, a throne of our own. See, Adam and Eve were created and the Lord made the Garden of Eden for them to live in and for them to enjoy. Eden was created as a place of beauty, scripture says, but ultimately, this is important, Eden was actually created as a place of worship. Eden was where the presence of God met with the presence of man. They communed together. They walked together. They talked together. They loved one another. But then scripture says deception entered into the garden. Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says, The serpent came to Eve, and the serpent asked, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree and what happened next changed worship in all, all of humanity 
Genesis chapter 3 again this is verses 2 and 3 now Eve answered and said we can eat from any tree in the garden except for the tree in the middle of the garden God said we mustn't eat its fruit or touch it or we will die verses 4 and 5 then Satan directly denied God's word and he said you won't die God knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God knowing good and evil now you know that look that someone gives you when they're disagreeing with what is being said it's kind of the squinty eyes the snarled face the shaking head not not you you don't do that it's the people around you that do that but you've seen the look before when somebody says that's not how it happened that's not where it's at that's not what he meant Eve said God told us we cannot eat from the tree or we'll die and Satan said you won't die God just doesn't want you to become like him and I want to tell you God I want to tell you guys Satan still uses that tactic today you don't have to live holy God just doesn't want you to have fun you don't need to give he just doesn't want you to have nice things you don't have to sacrifice God just doesn't want you to be happy and you need to understand in this passage here in Genesis Satan accused God of having unworthy motives and he told Eve come on put your will above his you know best you ever heard those words before whispered by the enemy you know best come on and in a moment of pride, Eve exalted her will above God's will. And in that moment, worship was broken. Satan succeeded in his goal. Anytime that we esteem our will over God's will, the communion that God built into creation that we call worship is broken. And so mankind fell, and we still see broken, fallen humanity all around us today, and it's because mankind has still exalted his will above God. So make no mistake about it, Satan desires to break your worship. So this Garden of Eden, this place that was created as a, as a place of beauty and of worship where God could meet with man and they could walk together but when mankind fell scripture says the garden of eden was no more and so now as you watch the um the bible's account of worship from that moment throughout scripture it's very revealing because after mankind was kicked out of the garden of eden worship took place at individual altars and then after god delivered the israelites from egypt god commanded moses to construct a tabernacle so that it was a place of worship now it was a tent for God's presence to dwell in later on God called Solomon to build a permanent temple why for his presence to dwell that's where people went to worship the Lord and you read in the book of Jeremiah that the nation of Israel had quit worshiping God it says people still went to the temple because the temple symbolized worship but they didn't actually submit themselves to God. See, they were in the right place, they were saying the right things, but they were not right with God. The ceremony of worship was alive, but the life of worship was dead. 
Mankind looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. In 586 B.C., God allowed the temple of Jerusalem in all of its glory, in all of its splendor, he allowed it to be destroyed. Because the people had turned away from his ways, and Scripture says the temple had become a facade. Now, this is really important. I want you to think about this. This is, this is something that we're going to circle back to a couple of times. Is your life a facade? Going to the right places, saying the right things, but not truly submitted to the Lord on the inside. See, what happened is God called a man of, uh, named Jeremiah to lead the nation into repentance. And then he wrote in Lamentations 5, he said, You, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. And this is what Jeremiah prayed on behalf of the people. The worship had been broken, and he said this. He said, Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we might return to you. He, he submitted. He realigned himself with God. And this prayer of repentance came forth and at the moment of submission, worship was restored. Now, I think that's beautiful and that's encouraging for us because sometimes we exalt our will over God. It happens. But Scripture says in the moment that you say, Lord, not my will, yours, when you resubmit to the Lord, worship is restored. Soon after that, King Cyrus of Persia commissioned the prophet Ezra to restore worship in Jerusalem. And the temple was rebuilt, again, beautiful and glorious. And again, it symbolized the true worship of God. And don't you wish that the story just ended there? Don't you wish in your own life that once you catch yourself not submitting to the Lord and you correct it and you say, God, I submit to you, that from that day forward, everything was just smooth sailing. Don't you wish that happened? It didn't happen for Israel. Israel, again, turned away from the Lord. And again, the temple was destroyed. And then Jesus came. And now worship changes again. Because now Jesus starts referring to himself as the temple and the representation of worship. And he showed that worship was submission to the Father. In John chapter 2, he said, tear this temple down. I'll build it back up again in three days. After his atoning work on the cross, Scripture starts to say in 1 Peter that now we are a temple. Oh, my goodness. Listen to what's happening here, guys. The presence of God goes from dwelling in a structure to the hearts of men. Worship goes from a place to a being, to a body to you because now everything that we think everything we say everything we do reveals what we treasure and what we value most we now represent worship we're the tabernacle so as we as we bring this together now i want to look once again mark chapter 12 verse 30 the passage we started with there's four areas of a worshipful life here and this this prayer known as the shema and we're going to start number one is the heart Four areas of a worshipful life. In the heart, it's our throne. You could call it what we love most. The great theologian Matthew Henry calls the heart 
the throne of the soul and the seat of our affection. That's very deep. (laughs) The throne of our soul. It's what we love most. Now listen, here's what Henry says. Loving God with all of our heart will arm us against all those things that are rivals for him for the throne of our soul. We have a throne. It's what we choose to worship. There's two thrones in creation that scripture talks about. Have you ever, have you ever seen these before? Two different thrones. There's the throne of heaven and then there's the throne of your soul. I keep trying to sit down and I can't do it. Listen, there's the throne of heaven and there's the throne of our soul. Scripture tells us God sits on the throne of heaven. He will always be on the throne of heaven. No one will ever dethrone the Lord from that position. But there's a second throne and that's the throne of your life. It's the throne of your soul. When we ask Jesus into our heart, we invite him to sit on our throne. I used to always read David in in the book of Psalms, Psalm 63. I, I thought he was being redundant when he would say, oh God, you are my God. But I recognize David is actually talking about these two different thrones. Oh God of heaven, you are my God as well. Oh God, on the throne of heaven, you sit on the throne of my soul. There's two thrones that scripture talks about. The second area here is the soul, and it's our will. Um, You could call it what we choose. This is what we choose. And again, we choose who sits on our throne. We choose what we're going to worship. So God of heaven, I choose that you sit on my throne as well. See, worship has often been misunderstood as something that arises from a feeling. And you may walk out of, uh, of a worship service one day and you may say, oh, people were crying, their hands were raised. That was good worship. Listen, worship doesn't come from emotions. Emotions come from worship. Worship comes from a choice. It comes from a choice of your will to submit to the Father. I love how Joshua says it in in chapter 24. He says, choose this day who you will serve. Now listen, when you wake up in the morning, sometimes you don't feel like submitting. And usually people will know how you're feeling within about 15 minutes of you getting up. Everybody around you knows how you feel that day. But there's days when you and I, we don't feel like submitting. Maybe we don't feel like submitting to our spouse, or we don't feel like submitting to our boss, or we don't feel like submitting to God. Worship is not based on your feelings. If your worship was based on your feelings, your worship would be splintered and fragmented and all over the place. Worship is based on your choice. It's your will. Saying, regardless of how I feel today, God, I submit to you because I know you. I know your ways. They're good, they're pleasing, and they're perfect. I I choose to submit to you. I'm fickle. I'm human. I'm emotional. I'm up. I'm down. You are faithful, you are constant, you are steady. I choose you. We worship the Lord with our soul. 
with our will. Again, Jesus said worship is not simply a matter of words. It's a matter of your will. Number three is the mind. It's our thoughts. We worship the Lord with our thoughts. You could call it what we dwell on. Now listen, out of these three so far, uh, your thoughts are the most difficult thing to control. Because, think about this, a facade controls what it looks like on the outside, but not what's happening on the inside. Even as difficult as it is sometimes to control your words and your actions, you can control those way easier than you can control your thoughts. But a worshipful life includes your mind. It includes your thoughts. Here's what Scripture says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Dwell on these things. In Psalm chapter 77, David says, I call to remembrance in the night. I will meditate on you and on all of your work. What we think about affects our worship at a very high level because what we dwell on is eventually what we act on. And so, Scripture calls us to worship the Lord in the Shema prayer with our mind. Our thoughts are very important. The fourth area is our strength. It's our actions. It's what we do. You could call it that, what we do Theologian Richard, Richard Foster said, worship begins in holy expectancy and it ends in holy obedience. It's following through. It's what you do. It is important. When we talked about what's happening on the inside, it, that is what God's looking at, but that stuff will come through in your life. And so when you worship the Lord with your actions, it's part of this, this big picture here. Uh, one of my favorite verses regarding worship is Romans 12.1. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of all that he has done for you and for me, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, because this is your true and proper worship. Offering God your actions. Offering him your strength. William Barclay said this, true worship is the offering to God of your body and all that one does every day with it. Real worship is not the offering to God of a liturgy, however noble it is, nor a ritual, however magnificent it is, because real worship is the offering of everyday life to him. It's not a facade. So I, I ask you this again. Is your life a facade because God looks past that and he's looking inside as we close this morning according to Jesus surrendering to God's will was the truest form of worship what was happening inside of those words inside of those locations inside of that appearance what was happening inside was there a true submission to the father Romans 12, 2 tells us that God's will is good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. Listen, what God has for you, trust me, you want it. It's the best. God doesn't want you to settle for anything less 
than the best. So many people say, I got to compromise. No, you don't compromise at all. You give up your junk for his treasure. When you say yes to his will, when you submit to God's will, it does two things. It honors him and it fulfills you. That's why God built it into creation. This wasn't about him receiving. It was about him giving. It was about him fulfilling you. And when that line is in place, when that worship is established, we're able to give God his glory that he deserves, and he's able to download into us everything that he has for us. It's what we were created for. Jesus said, that's what worship is. So again, we start this series today, and it's, it's uber important that we started with this foundation that worship is not just our singing. It's not just our serving. Worship is our whole life. It's our submission to the will of the Father. And maybe this morning, maybe you're sitting in one of these chairs today, and you would be the first to admit that your worship is broken. Things happen. I get it. It's so hard because we fight against that flesh every single day. And our pride says, we know best. It happens. But Jesus said, when you lay that down and you say, no, no, God, your will. I choose your will. In that moment, Jesus is the one who puts us back into right standing. He's the one that restores worship in our life. It's not something that you do. It's not something that a pastor does. It's not something a church can do for you. It's something that Jesus does for you. And if you're here today and you just you would say, my worship's broke and I want it fixed, I want to give you an opportunity to do that before we leave today. So I'm just going to ask for every head to be bowed, all eyes closed. This is, again, this is a holy moment between you and God. And if you're here today and you would just be very honest and transparent, and you would say, my worship's broke, and it needs to be restored, then I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me today. You can pray something like this and just say, God, I thank you for your great love for me. I believe that your son Jesus died on a cross for my sins, and I believe that he raised back to life to give me a brand new life. And today, Lord, I ask that you would forgive me for exalting my will above yours. I ask that you'd forgive me for all of my sins, that you would, you would make me righteous. You would put me back into right standing with God. You would restore worship in my life. Jesus, I invite you to sit on my throne and become the Lord of my life. Amen. Hey, listen. If you prayed that prayer today, I just want to uh, say two things. Number one, well done. The best decision. I, you say this every single week. I feel like it's so redundant, and yet it's true every single time we get to this point. It is the most important, most significant, most life-altering decision that you'll make in this entire world. Number two, as a church, we believe that God calls church to be a family. 
that we walk through life together, that we support one another, we enjoy life together, we pray for one another, and we want to be your church family. We want to pray for you as you walk into this journey with God. It's outstanding. You're going to love it. We want to be there. We want to be part of it. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I want to invite you to take your connection card. You turn it over on the back, and it's got a yes box on the top. And I just want to invite you to do something real quick. Take that card and check the box. In a couple of minutes, we're going to have some prayer teams up here. These prayer teams are our church elders. They're the spiritual leaders of the church. And they're here because they want to pray with you. They believe in you, and they believe in God. And they want to, they want to be that person who who is a part of bringing you together and praying for your needs. So if you're here today and you have any kind of needs, we want to invite you uh, to, to come forward at the end of our service today because we'd love to be able to pray for you. Um, but if you check that yes card, I want to invite you to take the card and drop it off with one of the elders this morning so that we can start as a church family. We can start supporting you and praying for you. In fact, I want to, let, let's do that right now. Would you guys congratulate those who prayed that prayer this morning? Well done. I'm going to wrap up. And I want, to, I want to take an opportunity for everybody to reflect on your personal life of worship. So my, my last time to say this, I, I, think, I think there's a call throughout Scripture for pastors to stand in front of a congregation and to make sure that their lives are not a facade. And that's what I want for you. I promise you, if you're empty, you're feeling it. If you're faking it, you're feeling it. That's not what God has for you. That's not what your church wants for you. Don't live a facade. When Jesus said that worship was submitting to the will of the Father... It was the most beautiful words that he could have ever stated. It's God's desire for you. is his perfect, pleasing will to be poured out in your life. And this morning as we wrap it up, I've compiled a, a few scripture verses that we've referenced today. And, and I've put it into a, a prayer of worship restoration, you could say. Some of the passages we've talked about. And so as we wrap up today, I'm not going to ask you to bow your heads or close your eyes in this moment. Um, I want you to be engaged in this. I want you to listen to these words, and if at all possible, I'd love these words to be your words that come from your heart as we close this morning. You, O oh Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. You're seated high upon the heavenly. Restore us to yourself, O oh Lord, that we might return to you. Forgive us for placing our will over yours, because it's your will that reigns over all the earth. And so we invite your will to reign in our lives as well. We place you on the throne of our soul, and we worship you. All God's people said, amen.